Welcome back to How They Train. I'm Jack Kelly, and today I'm joined by Ben Canute. Ben has been one of my all-time favourite triathletes, probably since his runner-up finish at the 2017 Ironman 70.3 World Champs to Javier Gomez. He really raced the way a lot of guys have started to do now, where he swam fast, rode bloody insane, and, and then still ran really solid off the back of it. I think that performance may just about be the, the all-time most underrated 70.3 performance in triathlon history. And, and so because of that, I'm super excited to chat to Ben about all things training, and including leading into that, that race that I, that I love so much, but also about more, more recent training and racing. And Ben just came off the PTO US Open on the weekend, and I'm, I'm keen to hear about where he's at at the moment and, and where his racing is going to take him in the future and, and how his training's been going. Ben, thanks so much for joining me, mate. It's been a, a long road to get you on, but we're finally here. Oh, thanks for having me. Hey, uh, let's, um, I reckon let's go back. Let's start back and we'll, we'll work our way forward because, yeah, like I just talked about in the intro, um, you're, you're responsible for one of my favorite races of all time. Can you take me back in, in time to, to 2017 in, in the lead up to your runner-up finish at the 70.3 World Champs? Sure. I mean, uh, we can even back up a little bit because I think – 2017 starts with, you know, that was the first transition into middle distance racing for me. And it came off of, you know, a, a pretty successful short course career, but always, you know, everybody's always asking, when are you going to go longer and put it off till after the Olympics. And at the end of that year in 2016, uh, I made the decision to switch coaches. Um, it was, I mean, I think from the outside, a lot of people probably kind of question why I did that because just qualified for the Olympics, had a pretty solid season, um, but just felt like needed some sort of change. There was just something missing. And I started working with my coach now, Jim Vance, back then at the end of 2016. And um, we, I'd come off of, you know, really, really good training the past year or two um, with my other coach. And I just think I needed a bit more rest. And Jim worked that in and we kind of took this, you know, learning approach to racing the middle distance races. And honestly, that was my third 70.3, I believe, because I did, I started with Puerto Rico, went to St. George, and then I was still balancing a little bit of ITU racing. Um, but yeah, and then it was just that steady gain of confidence where we were stacking training. Um, we, we experimented a little bit. We're real conservative in Puerto Rico, St. George. I raced, you know, Alistair Brownlee, Lionel Sanders, uh, ran with Tim Don for a little bit and just learned a bunch. And then Chattanooga was just coming at the end of a really good training, um, period in the summer. And it was really just no expectations. Um, I had these process goals of just wanting to crank the swim. Um, that, that course was incredible with that climb right at the beginning. And it was just me and Javier Gomez. And, um, I knew the way Javier raced is that, you know, he just trusted in his run so much, but I figured if I could make him think that I was just so much stronger on the bike than him, and I was just going to hammer the bike, they would all think I would blow up. And it was just that aligning of the stars of me being able to ride my pace everybody else looking at each other and not wanting to pull Javier Gomez across and then just kind of, you know, racing off the front and just kind of trying to enjoy the day. The, the, oh, I was going to ask a more like overarching question, but, but I'll, I'll scope it back a little bit. Yeah. Leading into that race. Um, do you remember the, the, the training that you and your coach Jim Vance were doing like specifically? Yeah. You know, 
we've had a lot of similar structures. So back then, especially, we would do what we call as conjugate sequencing, where we would do a volume phase and then take a little bit, like a, a couple of days rest, and then we'd do this intensity phase um, and just kind of cycle through that. So it's about 10 to 14 days of volume endurance-based training that would go up to and maybe just a bit over like 70.3 efforts. And then we do like this really intensity phase where we take back the volume a little and really crank up the intensity. And we've just found that I respond super well to volume, but when we really do hard intensity stuff, it just takes me more to recover. Um, and that cycle just worked well because I was balancing everything from super sprint and racing super league stuff up to the half Ironman distance. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of workouts that I could kind of pull from, um, whether it's like the, the building tempo runs, the, the bike though, I think really sticks out, um, in what we were doing. And the, the main workout that we always kind of try and build towards, um, that just is kind of the base of our training is four by 30 minutes. Uh, with about four or five minutes recovery in between. And I just remember hitting some of those on Fiesta Island, like once or twice. And it took, you know, that from starting training in January and having that base period kind of just working on sustaining power for long periods of time, all the way through the summer to where I was finally able to clip that off um, leading into 70.3 Worlds in Chattanooga. And just a couple of those bike workouts, we did a couple uh, hill repeats up Soledad Mountain, where it'd be like all out 10 minute, 12 minute efforts. Um, and then one time trial up Palomar Mountain. And those type of three workouts basically really stand out just from the point, because I think my bike was just super solid that year overall. And the swims too, like, I mean, I, I was swimming super well and the run was coming along, but I was just you know, still learning how to run a half marathon at that point, but the bike has always just kind of, you know, come along a little bit easier, especially at that time. Do you think that you've ever been in as good bike shape as you were in that 2017 year? That's a great question. Um, you know, I think that year was kind of special and just, um, my physiology has definitely changed kind of over the years. I think I've always been a bit more of a diesel engine. And you can kind of see that in my, uh, ITU days of, um, I feel like I had a little bit of, um, kind of forcing my physiology to chase the Olympic dream a little bit. And the, the reason why super sprints, I think really helped for me is because I could just, you know, basically redline there for the 20 minutes and didn't quite pay for it as much as maybe some other guys, but the, the sprint and the Olympic, there was just a ton of surging. And I just like that steady kind of effort. And you don't really get that type of surging in 70.3 racing as much. Um, even nowadays with some of the, uh, packs that are forming, it's still, you know, relatively even. Um, but I would say my numbers back then, um, were honestly pretty impressive. I was, I was a little bit lighter back then too. I think I've put on more muscle and doing some of the strength work that I've done. Um, but I'd say I've done a pretty good job at just sustaining my bike power and sustaining it. And you can see in some of those races, like, um, Chattanooga, I, I still, it was one of my, what, like, it was a super great ride, but I still think it was one of those. It was that perfect situation of being underestimated. Nobody really believing I could back up, um, a, a strong ride with a strong run. 
and then everybody looking at each other. And I think I even remember talking to some of the guys in the pack and they were just frustrated because nobody wanted to work. So it was kind of that aligning of the stars where I just, the bike looked super impressive coming off four to five minutes ahead, but sometimes you don't need to ride outside your mind to get those sorts of gaps. It's a little bit of dynamics of racing as well. And in that, that like sort of um, volume phase you were doing there where you would do 10 to 14 days of, of volume on the, on the bike and then, you know, have a couple of days rest and, and then do an intensity period. How much volume would you do in that 10 to 14 days? And, and what would it sort of look like? Yeah. So since we don't really go on like a traditional week schedule all the time, um, it's hard to say like per week, it just depends what day you start, but essentially it's like 30 hour weeks is kind of like that golden area for me. Um, when we do 10 days, it's about hitting that 40 to like 45, maybe even 50 hours of work in there. So there's a lot of like kind of base building, maybe some zone two, and then we do like that tempo type stuff. So the pool is a little bit different. I've got a swim background. You can mess around with the workouts a little bit more. Um, and throughout the years, I've gone through cycles of needing, you know, more swim volume versus just maintaining and we can back off the swim. Um, but the bike and the run stay relatively similar where in that base period, you do one or two, maybe three key bike workouts, which are anywhere from, you know, the 30 minute intervals or, um, stacking up like five, 10 or 15, just rolling through your building that strength that you need to sustain, um, a strong 70.3 ride with, uh, and same thing with the running. It's a lot of tempo based or, um, even this year and some of the other years we started to call some of the runs we do like Thrempo, which is kind of in between the tempo and threshold. Um, but they're longer kind of, you know, that 40 to an hour, 10 ish, type um workout where you're not gonna you know push super hard and just thrash yourself but it's just that kind of base endurance um almost race pace for 70.3 type efforts and then um with with that like block are you are you always doing the same thing like so what I mean by that is the swimming and the biking and the running always very similar in, in proportion or well, sometimes you go, hey, in this volume phase, we're going to do way more cycling and drop back our swimming and running. And then in this one, we're going to do way more running and drop back our, our swimming and cycling. Or is it sort of just like, hey, we do pretty much the same 10 to 14 days, have a couple of days and p- pretty much the same um, swim, bike, run inside that intensity volume, couple of days and then repeat the process? Uh, I think from block to block, it really depends on the time of year and what sort of fitness I'm in. and Um, there are definitely workouts that we like kind of pick and we work towards like that four by 30 minutes. Like we're not probably not doing that toward the beginning of the year and toward like in the early times, like when we're trying to build up toward that, you can definitely go out and do it, but the power that you're holding there, it's, it's a workout that takes a little bit of time to get into and to get up to the power that you want and to just work into it. Um, and that kind of cycles too. So if you, the bike in the past has come back to me pretty quickly and it's always been, you know, a big focus on the run and just getting the run up to the quality that it needs to be to race with the best in the world. And this, the swim as well always comes back relatively quickly. It's just kind of being patient sometimes with those and knowing the, the numbers will come. Um, and the run, you know, always just takes a little bit more concentration. So, 
Um, if the swim and bike are up, we usually, you know, take a little bit extra focus on the run and we'll see if we can, you know, slide in something extra. But I think what we've learned over the years too, and what's been reiterated this year as well is you can't get too greedy. So we kind of have this structure that works and that we've gone back to after, you know, testing out some other things where maybe we try like a traditional seven day block, but we feel like we're trying to squeeze in too much work at a time or something like that. And we just know like, Hey, if we focus on this 10 days, you can fit in, you know, a few key workouts in there. We have the built-in rest so that you're not getting, you know, too tired and you're getting the quality in. And then we also work, then you switch to that intensity and that's where you work on, you know, where the race, when it goes above your threshold or above race pace, you work on hitting that higher end because then when you come back down and when you're in the race situation, you're shedding lactate and you're not, you know, becoming overwhelmed by these surges that could happen. Or like you take this year's world champs where you have multiple Hills throughout St. George, you're going to be riding 400 plus Watts on those Hills. You have to be comfortable, you know, riding 400 plus Watts and not thinking that this surge is going to crush you or have that being a, a new stimulus in the race. Before I, I've got like a heap of questions <laughs> off everything you've said, yeah. but before I jump ahead with that volume phase or throughout any of this block, what's sort of the longest riding you're doing? Like, are you ever going out and just doing long rides or is your riding always like quite a bit of quality and, and not like crazy long six, seven hour ride? No, I never do anything like six, seven hours. Um, I mean, I think maybe if I, I move up to Ironman, Jim might have me going out and doing something significantly longer, but we usually cap our rides somewhere, you know, five hours, give or take, maybe we'll go up to like five and a half. Um, but that'd be pretty rare. And I mean, a lot of times it could just be, you know, easy, just how the legs feel, just get out there and get in the time. Um, but we found that kind of zone two riding, um, which is not particularly hard, but just kind of towards that second half, you just start to, to feel it a bit more. That's been a good way for us too to just keep and maintain strength and just, you know, keep some pressure on the pedals throughout some of those rides. And, you know, those will end up being just as long as some of the other ones. It just, we, we just kind of know too, that those aren't technically an easy ride. So there's still, you know, a training fatigue that goes along with them that we have to take note of. But in doing that, sometimes that's a little bit more of a conservative approach to um, really getting in like the, an extra race pace effort. And um, I've worked with Bobby McGee a lot and he even calls like the, the tempo running where you're, it's like true tempo, which is slower than your half Ironman pace. And um, that's like the poor man's threshold. If you can keep doing the threat, that's, it's a good way to, you know, get fitness without the risk that threshold also has. Speaking of your running, take me inside this a little bit. Cause I am, I am really curious about it. That particularly starting, um, with that like 2017, uh, 70.3 world champs where like you've had runs since then that if you had have ran like that on that day, you would be a 70.3 world champion. But like Javier Gomez was sort of just on another level there. And, and that 2017 world championships from him, by the way, like that might be the most underrated performance in triathlon history, yours and his both on that day, they were both insane performances. Um, what kind of, what kind of running were you doing at the time then? How did, how did your run training look exactly? And then how has it progressed over time since then? 
Well, thanks. Cause that, uh, that 2017 performance, like looking back on that, it's, it's one of those that you come so close. And then each time it was like that next year too, it was against him, Alistair and, and Jan Ferdano and had my best run that following year, uh, to date at the world champs. And, um, I mean, Javier ran a, a 67, I think that day or 68 and he walked for some of it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, I just think I was, I was pretty young at that point and pretty fresh to the half Ironman. It was my third, uh, 70.3 distance. Um, I feel like we, we took a, a fairly conservative approach to, to getting the run up and it's just, the run has always, it's, it's like at the point now where, um, all of the years of training that I've done and the miles that I've accumulated, plus the amount of form work that I've done have started to really come together. And, uh, especially, you know, beginning of last year and end of last year with even the half Ironman world champs and Oceanside, like you see, uh, some really good run performances that are there and, you can take a look at my run in 2022, 2021, and go back to 2017. And it looks like two different people running. It's a lot more inefficient in 2017 than it is now. And that's just something that, and I mean, my run form even in 2017 was a lot more efficient than it was back in 2014. So it's been this progression of just trying to put the pieces together to, I, I have the engine in a lot of it. And I've done a lot of that training. It's just being able to apply that engine in an efficient way to be able to carry myself quickly over the miles required. And so with your, like when you were like, when you came second at that 2017 70.3 world championships you then talked about that 2018 race which is a, a pretty famous race um the one where uh, Jan Frodeno won Alistair Brownlee came second and Javier Gomez came third and you know they that, that that race gets talked about because of that battle with those three but people like I reckon that would be a good triathlon trivia question like who came fourth that day and I don't reckon a lot of people would know that it was you who came fourth that day again like a bit of a common theme with your career of having these really insane but completely underrated performances that I think people forget even happened. Um, how, like, did you think going like from that 2017 race to that 2018 race that you had made enough progression since coming second that you were a real chance to win in 2018? Oh, well, I mean, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I think first off it's, uh, I mean, it's just true each and every year it's uh, sport has a short memory and it's always kind of, what are you doing for me right now? And, um, it's as harsh as the Olympics, man. I mean, if you're not winning or, uh, getting a medal, it's kind of like, you know, nobody cares. So <laughs> the fourth place is, uh, for me, that's, that's probably, you know, one of the races I look back on where, I'm almost more proud of the, that race than I was of 2017, um, just from how I put everything together and might've been a bit aggressive on the bike at times with Alistair Brownlee, but, um, we, we did kind of cruise into T2 and yeah, I mean, we knew going into that race that between those three, um, it was going to be super hard to be world champion that year. But what we were kind of banking on is those guys go into battle, especially on the run and just, you know, thrashing each other. And we knew probably at least one of them would 
blow up or break down or something like that, um, which they did. I mentioned Javi walked. Alistair Brownlee, you know, had an issue at, at one point, but they were just, you know, so far ahead. I think I ran, you know, 112 um, or maybe even just under on that day, which was, you know, uh, my best run to date. And back then, uh, a really pretty quick run over the half Ironman distance, but those guys were ahead of their time running, you know, 66 to 68 or so for the half marathon. And um, yeah, it was a race that I, I kind of put everything together and executed super well, um, but they were just, you know, better on that day. And it's just um, that you're always chasing that progression. And there's just always people who are pushing the levels in the sport. And um, I mean, that race in particular, that was, that was a pretty crazy and epic race. And um, yeah, I think Jan, even after that one, he was, he was out for the rest of the year with, I think how hard he had to push to, to beat those two other guys. So um, that's where I think it's super important too. And um, whether the results good or bad, there's always a ton of positives that you could take away and be proud of. And I mean, there's always things you can clean up too, but it's really easy to be critical on yourself, but it's, it's, a I think really important to go back and, you know, find the, the good things about the race and the, the way that you executed. Was your training in 20, like from, from when you like finished second in 2017 to, to the start of that, that 70.3 world champs in 2018, was your training just more of the same? Did you do the same things that got you to the dance in 2017 or, or did things progress and change a little bit throughout that, that 12 months? Yeah. I mean, I think we're always trying to progress and find different things to, to make me better. Um, and I mean, even, even one of those things, that's not even necessarily training, but you can take a look at my bike fit too, from 2017 until now. And that's something that pretty much each year we've progressively kind of moved forward with and really made a huge jump in that when I started working with you know, my current uh, strength coach who works closely with Bobby McGee. Um, and I think from 17 to 18 and even 19, we really continued with that conjugate sequencing. Um, and we, we followed a lot of the same structure, but obviously it changes because each year the, the racing would be different. The demands of the world chance would be different and kind of just how the season was structured, especially with the 2020 Olympics coming up and trying to chase points and qualify for the relay team. So we made, um, a big kind of focus too, to just really improve the run, especially over 1500 meters. And then also trying to work on that, the half marathon distance. But, um, I think that's where kind of, we, we really tried to focus in on is, is keeping that, that quality high and keeping in mind the, the super sprint, the closer we got to 2020. Um, but still just having that strength overall and, um, honestly, I was just having a lot of fun racing half Ironman distance races. And with that, like, um, we've talked about it a lot, but this, this system that you guys had of, of volume phase, rest intensity phase, uh, and we've sort of, we've talked a little bit generically about what that looked like. Would you be able to more specifically break down like how that would work from, from like, so you said there would be 10 to 14 days in the volume phase and then one or two days rest. And I'm not sure how many days you said the intensity phase would be, but um, could you like walk me through from like day one to when that would finish 
sort of not exactly how a week would look like. It's probably hard to remember exactly, but like pretty roughly how that entire phase from start to, to finish would, would actually look like. Yeah. You know, I can try and do that. I'm, it's funny. Cause when I think of big training blocks, it's all, it's like all the days kind of blend together overall. It feels like I would, you know, one tempo run might be right after the, the big bike that I did, you know, just a day or two beforehand. Um, but it, it seems like it's been a few days in between, or I, I mean, even before a lot of my races, I go back and I try and look at the work that I've done. And I'm like, oh man, I really stacked a lot of these workouts kind of back to back. And I forget like those, those weeks and how they formed up, um, even though certain workouts might stick out. But like when I go and I pick a specific workout, like from my swim workout, you know, earlier in the day, I could tell you each and every split that I was doing if I had a hard workout there. So it's funny how the mind works, but we usually lead in, um, I'd say with like an easier day, probably like activation every day is probably in the volume phase, anywhere from like three to six hours, just depending on what's done. And, um, you know, back then I want to say like, we'd have, you'd have like a, a big bike and maybe a runoff, but there's always about two key bikes and two key runs. So back then it would be something like, um, that four by 30 in there. And then there's a tempo run. And, uh, that usually, um, is somewhere like a three by 20, six by 10, something broken up between that 50 and an hour 10 to simulate the, the half marathon. Um, and I would do, you know, some track workouts. And back then we might have a little bit more intensity in the volume phase. And sometimes we would have long rides and finish with um, like some FTP efforts. Um, and that's even something that we've accumulated and done more recently where the end of the block would end with, you know, a long ride and you do three by eight FTP efforts um, just at the end there because you get that volume plus a little bit of um, hard intervals in there. And we would do kind of like a, a long, we'd have our long run go up to two hours. Um, and I guess if we're, you're looking for something that's a little bit more unique that maybe a lot of people don't do, um, just since I've been working with Jim, we actually do a lot of like run walk based intervals, um, just from the philosophy of it just keeps you a little bit, you know, more fresh, less, uh, injury prone helps control the effort. So you're not trying to speed through things. Um, so that was a little bit kind of all over the place and a little jumbled. Um, if we wanted to get real specific, I might have to pull up, um, my today's plan and, and go through and, and take a look at those workouts. But, um, yeah, it could end up being, you know, I think I've only ever topped out at about 32 or 33 hours in a week. Um, but it's a lot of just kind of consistently, you know, throwing in those two to four hour bikes, you have those two key sessions each and a, a couple key sessions in the water. And that fills up your, your week and your 10 days, like really pretty quickly. Cause there's a couple days in that 10 to 14 that you're also coming down just a little bit. So you're not just, you know, hammering yourself every single day for two weeks. And then when you would have the, the couple of days rest after that volume phase and jump into your intensity phase, how long was, was the intensity phase and, and what did it look like? Yeah. So that was seven days. And, um, I have kind of a love hate relationship with the, the intensity days. Cause you know, I'm not a sprinter at heart by any means. Um, I, I actually, you know, this past weekend we were in 
Dallas with that race and just talking with Michael Johnson about how they, you know, you as a swimmer growing up, I would look at sprinters and go, man, I wish I had those swim workouts because they were like two or three K and I'd be doing five to seven K of swimming. Um, but just, they could just empty the tank in that 50 yard sprint or something like that. And it's, I, that's just getting warmed up for me, but, um, we would do, you know, all sorts of stuff, whether it was group rides on the bike, um, you know, hundreds all out with lots of rest in the swim, a test set that we would always do. That's a classic, you know, kind of triathlon, especially for USA triathlon test set is, um, a hundred, 500. So it's a hundred free all out rest 60 seconds, 500 free all out. And we started to add on three, two hundreds on the three minute. And this is all yard swimming just with like a 300 pull in between, um, and do that three times just to, to get in that extra quality since 600 yards, isn't that much, but that was always a good benchmark. Um, the running, we'd do something called like Mav shuttles where it's, um, basically at your like, uh, top aerobic kind of running, but it was basically like a 15 seconds on and then half the distance that you were running in that 15 seconds, you'd do again. They're just like jogging. Um, and you'd start that interval right away and it'd be basically the same time. So basically like 15 on 15 off and we'd go into like five by four minutes threshold. So five, 10 K pace, something like that, maybe around 10 K pace. Um, so just a lot of like, think super sprint sprints, Olympic type training. Um, and it was about one or two days on one or two days, um, a little bit backed off from some of that super high intensity stuff, just so we could keep hitting that high quality. And then like we've talked about 2017 and 2018, and that's when your career gets interesting for me, because I would just like, I would uh, like reflecting on those, those two years for you, it was like, you were relatively like you were seen as, as like one of the young guys on the, on the 70.3 circuit and, and on the, like on the way up and, you know, you were really competing with the guys who were expected to win and, and becoming like you were, you were making yourself one of those guys who, who people thought, oh, well, now he should just be someone who com- competes for the win at 70.3 World Championships from here. And 2019 was like a little bit of a weird year for you with your like results. I'm not, I'm not sure how you saw it being, being in it, but you know, it wasn't as, it just definitely wasn't as good a year as you had had the, the two years before. And then 2020 was a, a weird year for everyone. And, and I want to talk about 2021 because that's probably the, the year in your career I'm, I'm most uh, fascinated by. But that 2019 and 2020 years coming off like really like as, as successful middle distance years as anyone in 2017 and 18, how did you see those two years? Like, did you think that, that um, they weren't as good as the year, years before because you didn't have those really high moments or those really high, like those really um, peak results? Or, or did you not view it like that from the inside? Yeah, so 17 and 18, um, I think we're unique in the fact that, you know, I didn't really race that much overall. Um, I'd have to go back and look at what I was doing, um, like short course wise. Um, and those results, you know, maybe were a little bit, uh, lackluster in comparison to, um, the long course results. And although 2017, I think was just, you know, an incredible year for me because I was Island house year as well. Um, but 2019, I know I started super hot and this is where qualifying for the Olympics makes things really tricky and unpredictable. Um, because 
that 2019, I raced, especially in the beginning. Um, I know that I did, I, I actually, I think I did Oceanside. I won Oceanside that year, I want to say. And I also went and raced Barbados Continental Cup and won that, the St. Anthony's Triathlon and won that. And then I got called up pretty late because we of subbing in the just bureaucratic stuff. Uh, for the Chengdu World Cup, and I was uh, second at that World Cup. So there was a lot of um, actually success early on, but then you see some stuff like I went to the championship that year, I think, in Samarin, and that was just a tough one because I was, I think I was in China before that, or I was coming off of that race and um, still won Alcatraz that year. So there were a lot of good results, but I think that the the half distance racing sometimes that middle of the year because of what are you doing to get points for short course? Uh, where are you even racing based on substitutions? And then um, just trying to get that selection started to, to mess with that a little bit. And I believe 2019, I had my best WTS result uh, in Edmonton at like a, a seventh ish, give or take. Yeah. You came seventh. I reckon I remember that race. Yeah. So that was the, the sprint. So I, I had a lot of good racing there and then yeah, Nice was the disappointing, I think, world championship and just um when we look at that race i think just the demands of it i might have raced a bit too aggressively to go with alistair brownlee up that first climb and the bike ended up being you know significantly longer i think than most 70.3s and we i forget exactly how we we ended up like kind of determining it but it was just a bit of just you know it, it had been a long year the training going into it was maybe just a little bit off of what we actually needed for that. And I just showed up empty into T2 and salvaged maybe one or two miles. And then it was just an off day, which was the first time I think really that I sat at a world champs going like what just happened there. Um, and that took, yeah, a little bit to, to kind of work through. Um, so that I think, 2019 was was still though that that transition of you know the olympics was supposed to be that following year and i felt like my short course which is probably what we spent like a little bit more of a focus on because of selection coming up felt like i really put myself forward there and actually before nice we we had the tokyo test event where i raced the relay there also called in relatively last minute to that and um I, so I think it was just how much racing I was doing and just the time that we had to prep was just a little bit off for what we exactly needed for, for Nice. And then, like I said, the, the 2021 year is the one I really want to talk about the most. Um, mm -hmm. And there, there's like lots of reasons why. I think you had a really good year in 2021. Um, here's probably the, the first point. Uh, and lots of races that I'd like to talk about. Like I thought your Collins yeah. cup performance that year was like, I thought that was actually really insane. I didn't expect it. Um, and, and I'm a big fan of yours and always had been, but that your performance that day sort of made me go, Oh, I just didn't think he was, he was in that shape here. Um, and then like the next one is the, the 70.3 world championships, which it's funny when I think about your career, because I do think of you as a guy who's tried to do lots of things. Like you've, you've just done some bizarre races all over the place. And like, you've tried to do like super sprint, sprint, Olympic 70.3, like, like non-drafting, um, like short course races, you've just done it all. And, but where I, where I think about you and where you've like, 
excelled is at at the 70.3 world champs like that's if I look back at your career to this point they're the races I I like identify your career with and the 2021 70.3 world champs is is no exception because I didn't think you were going to have the day you had there like you surprised me at the Collins Cup before it and then and then you surprised me again at the 70.3 world championships where you finished sixth and look on paper it's not as good as your second or fourth in 2017 and 2018 but but the reason I'm so interested is because that 2021 70.3 World Championships was insane. Like I think, I think it was even more insane than that that 2020 that 2018 race with um, Alistair Yarn and and Javier. Like I don't think anyone's ever put in a performance as good as that one that Gustav Eden did in in 2021. I think that there's two performances that stand out to me in male triathlon, and or maybe three, but. Um, Alistair Brownlee's 2020, uh, 2012 London Olympic race, uh, Jan Fredino's 2019 Kona, and then Gustav Eden's 2021 70.3 World Champs, where like Gustav rode 158 that day and then ran 111. And we've just talked about how in 2017 and 2018, you were like a beast on the bike in 70.3, particularly at the World Championships. Like 2017, you rode four to five minutes into everyone in that field. And you had a good ride in St. George that day, riding 203 but Gustav Eden was five minutes up the road from you on that on that ride and like I'm just so interested to to hear your point of view on how that race played out and just like the level of of race from yourself and 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 like the gap to Gustav on that day despite how good a race you had and and how you saw it unfold and and what it was like actually being a part of that race yeah uh 2021 was definitely interesting um so uh, I'll kind of back up just a little bit first because 2020, obviously a weird year um, with, with racing in general and um, kind of came back into 2021 because I had to, to prove that I was, you know, suitable for the relay for the, the Tokyo Olympics and um, spent the first half of the season having some decent middle distance races and kind of waiting to see, you know, what my opportunities were short course wise. And honestly, just, you know, race too much, um, kind of just didn't do the blocks of training necessary for that, you know, uh, let's see, I think like April, May, June, and had pretty subpar performances on the, the short course side, um, didn't get selected, um, and had to kind of reset. I, I was able to win Alcatraz, but had to reset there and basically spent from Alcatraz all the way through 70.3 worlds, even past that, but like spent the whole summer building fitness and you kind of see it. If you take a look back at the year, I think I had the New York city try as kind of my first race back to test in July. And I was second there to Jason West and just didn't have the, the training yet, like the, the intensity, the specificity for, a super quick run, but the ride was starting to come back and the Collins cup just, you know, stars align. I, you know, had really great training going into it. And the Collins cup is pretty interesting because while there's pressure to perform and to do well, it's also pretty freeing because, you know, you, you get start money to go there and then you basically can race, you know, risk-free almost like if you go out and you race hard and you get the, the win, like that's awesome. It worked out for you. But if not, then you learn something great about, you know, this racing a quality field. And it was crazy conditions. Um, and the U S team was kind of fired up because the women were doing so well. 
and yeah, had, had a great race there, was able to just put stuff together and be solid. And that was great prep for 70.3 worlds, except for the fact I got caught in Slovakia because I tested positive for COVID, um, despite not showing any symptoms or anything. And just kind of, it was kind of an issue getting out of Slovakia to get a negative test to get out of there. Um, but honestly, they, they did a good job with giving us trainers and got in still some solid training and was home, got to Worlds. Um, and in talking with my coach, I think we were two weeks or so of training off of, you know, really where we wanted to be to contend with those top guys. But that race was very, it was very interesting. So it was uh, a non-wetsuit swim, but we didn't really break it up much. It was kind of one long line out of the water. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's curious. I just am able to get through transition quicker than a lot of guys, but I dangled out front a lot longer than I thought I would with funk and back of guard and all these guys kind of chasing down. And we got some separation up that first hill. Um, not the very first one out of transition, but that second one that goes up and you kind of get out away from, um, what is it? Hurricane Utah. And I just remember those guys too. Like we put in a big surge, like that was 450 Watts or something up that Hill. And I saw we had a gap and honestly, I thought this is our opportunity to go. Um, but just, you know, with the dynamics of Ironman racing, um, I think that the Hills, it just brought people together. And so it was just kind of slowly shedding people. And I know exactly where Gustav passed us on red, um, red sand Hills parkway. Uh, where that run course would go up there. And, you know, Gustav is just incredible in the fact that I think he just races his own race, never really goes above his limits. And that's where he knows he can just fully sustain for the half distance. And I don't think he really surged much. He just kind of kept going, just kind of went around us. And it was like me and Sam Appleton, we always tend to find each other on the bike for whatever reason. And I think we all just kind of looked at each other when he went by because we were all kind of in the hurt box at that point um, before Snow Canyon and took that right up. And we had a solid little group. And I think Eric Lagerstrom actually led us up. Um, but I was honestly kind of hurting at that point. And earlier in the year, I had a terrible St. George um, was stuck actually with Sam Long again. And we were talking on that hill just about how terrible it is to have a bad day in St. George because of how brutal that course can be. Um, but was able to kind of tempo up that hill and recover down the hill and just kind of see what would happen on the bike. And, you know, despite having hard rides, I usually, my run legs usually turn up and ran, you know, I think I, I run with run power quite a bit. And the run file from that shows I was pretty much right at what I was capable of but just feel like uh, it, it's, it's definitely that like lackluster result where I feel like I got everything out of myself, but feel like if I was, you know, just a little bit sharper, like on that bike or on the run and was able to just, you know, get a little bit of something else out of me, kind of have those run legs that I really wanted, um, you know, it might've been a little different and not necessarily that, you know, I'd be on the podium, but that I could at least be a little bit more in contention. But yeah, I mean, Gustav, what, if he rode, he probably came out of the water a couple minutes, a minute or two behind me or so. Um, so yeah, he rode, he was three minutes ahead. And we all kind of knew at that point that 
you know, he was running away with it, but I think the, the podium and everybody else, we all came off the bike relatively close together. Um, and yeah, it was, it was definitely an interesting run with the monsoon and everything. And, um, that's where it's, it's, again, it's important where I tried to take away a lot of the good that happened, but it was, it was one of those where, yeah, sixth place is, is that blah place. It's not, you don't go out to the world champs hoping for sixth place. You want to go out to the world champs to, to win, get on the podium, like have that hardware to take home that I've been chasing kind of since 2017. Um, but overall, like, and then, you know, I come back and Oceanside is a little bit more like the later on, just a few weeks after that race, I feel like that was kind of more of the race I was looking for just kind of in control the whole time. Um, just really solid across the board, um, where maybe it was just that maybe little extra percent that I had the little bit of extra training after worlds, but you know, that's how the chips fall and everybody knows the start date a year in advance or more. So, um, but honestly, yeah, I think that the St. George course, it, it just presented a really, you know, interesting race, especially with the way people raced it. Yeah. It's funny. There's a, there's a few like points I want to make in that is that, um, yeah, like Gustav Eden, he was like 337 that day. And then Sam, Sam Long came second at like 341. And then I'm pretty sure back to like sixth, uh, eighth place. So between like 341 for second and, and then back to like eighth or ninth place was four minutes was like the same gap. There was the same gap that separated second and like eighth or ninth versus what separated first and second. So it really was like yeah. Gustav in his own race. And then like six of you who were so close to like, like really all six of those people probably feel like they could have come second that day. And like, for example, um, Mickey Targholt, who came fourth, he, like you came six, he came fourth. He beat you by like, I don't know, less than a minute, I think. And then you beat him by a few minutes in, in that next race you talk about um, just a couple of weeks yeah. later. So yeah, it is like, it's interesting to hear you say that, how you felt like you were just a couple of weeks of, of training and racing off. It like would have been, so interesting to see how how you had have gone on that same course if it was two weeks later and you got that that little bit of extra training in that you felt you needed well and yeah and that's the danger too of i tried to you know uh, i tried to go for that olympic medal the u.s team ended up um getting silver in the olympics and um that's kind of what i was shooting for and i mean i wasn't planning after 2016 necessarily going for another games but with the mixed relay um that was the U S has always been super strong. So that's kind of what I was going for. And, you know, maybe that set me back, maybe it didn't, but yeah, I mean, it's, you got to make the most of, of the time that you have. And yeah, I think that I've always kind of tried to, to jump at different opportunities and, um, 20, yeah, that 2021 world champs was, you know, just maybe a little bit off, but I, I, think I just ran out of a little bit of real estate too. And I think I went through a bit of a, a rough patch on the run at one point, but rallied and was, you know, flying down that last crazy downhill that they had. And I could see Jackson in the finish shoot who was fifth there. Not, I couldn't quite see Mickey, but we were both kind of charging. And that was, uh, that was another where I just, you know, just missed out on just that, you know, 1% longer and might've had it, but those guys up front were, were definitely moving that day and, and earned those medals for sure. And before I want to talk about your training a little bit, a little bit more about sort of what was exactly going on then and, and then what, what you're doing right now. That's something I really want to talk about. But just my last question on that, and it's really just repeating something I've already said. What did you, 
what did you think about Gustav's performance that day? Like, do you think that, and I guess it speaks to like where triathlon's at now, where there's this element of Gustav and Christian just not being, not being beatable when they're on their day over, over middle distance triathlons. And look, it's even looking like maybe over Ironman at the moment too. What do you think, like, do you, do you look at a performance like that from Gustav and, and what they, what he's still doing today? And do you think like, oh, I can beat this guy over the 70.3 distance or, or like are the pros that, that are around these guys thinking like, oh, if they have their day, I just can't beat them anymore. I mean, uh, I mean, we, we tie, we have every single year, we have somebody like the Norwegians or, or every few years or whatever, who are seemingly unbeatable. You had Alistair Brownlee, Javier Gomez, Jan Ferdano, um, people like even Patrick Lang in Hawaii. Like there's a ton of people who are super good and on their day are extremely hard to beat. And Gustav, I think, you know, if he's firing on all cylinders, he is, you know, probably one of the best to do the middle distance racing. Um, but I think it's, it's kind of silly for people to say that, you know, nobody's beatable, um, or that one person in particular, a couple people are unbeatable. Um, cause it's sport. I mean, on paper, yeah, that, I mean, Gustav is, is practically unbeatable there, but you know, that's why we go and we do the races and I, we've seen some crazy stuff in the, the PTO races this year, um, in world champs before. And, um, I wouldn't be doing this sport if I didn't think that, you know, I could win a world championship or I could be one of the best in the world. Um, I haven't quite, you know, had that day just yet, but I think everybody is, is chasing that perfect race. And, um, yeah, I think that those guys are incredible and there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of respect, you know, across everybody in the sport for not just what those guys are doing, but what everybody's doing to, to raise the bar and, um, everybody wants to be that guy. So that's why we're all kind of killing ourselves out there to just keep trying to, to get better. And so let's, let's talk about what's happening now. Um, there's no, no secret that you haven't had anywhere near the year that you've had in the past. Like this is, this is on paper, the worst year of your career, which, you know, isn't saying much cause you've had a, like a fucking elite career. Um, and, and lots of pro athletes would actually probably kill to, to even have the year you're having this year. But for your high standards, it's, it's just nowhere near where you've been at. Can you talk me through what's been happening and where you think you're at now? And, and even like, let, let's talk about the training side of things. How has your training been? Is it still, are you still like training under that same system that you were back in 2017, 2018? Or have things completely changed now? And, and then, and then where, where to from here? Is it 70.3 worlds in a few weeks time? Or what, what's going to be the next big thing that you target? Yeah. So, I mean, this year, um, honestly, I feel like I have some similarities with, um, 2021 in some ways I came out and it's been interesting because 2020 kind of for, it forced everybody to race a world championship, essentially the PTO champs late in 2020. And since then I've, I've gone back to, to Daytona and raced pretty late. Um, and, kind of shut the season down for just a short time. And it's been pretty quick to come back into the season again. And this year, I mean, these are all reasons that I've looked through and that I've tried to, to find, to explain the results that, you know, I don't think really reflect uh, myself as an athlete. And um, it, it might come off. Some people might call it excuses, but this is just the explanation that I've come up with so far in that, you know, I've had 
uh, a quick start to the year um, where I got into some decent form for, uh, you know, Miami, Oceanside, and even St. Anthony's was pretty solid. Um, and then going into Chattanooga, uh, the half Ironman there is kind of where a lot of the, the trouble started. And I just feel like uh, we got a little bit greedy between uh, just life and some family events and just really nailing some training back to back in the heat um, and found myself just in a bit of a hole starting Chattanooga um, and raced, you know, halfway well there, but pretty much blew up and, and survived the run. Um, and then in trying to rest from that and then also do well at Alcatraz, um, just family got sick again and was a couple weeks there before. And my sickness, I just thought was a head cold, but ended up being a sinus infection. And so that was essentially a mid-season break of a few weeks of maybe 10 to 15 hours of training. And since then, I've had probably three of the biggest races in the past. You know, you could call them essentially three world champs with Edmonton, Collins Cup, and Dallas. And it was basically four weeks to Edmonton, about two to the Collins Cup, and then three to Dallas. And when I look back on that, it's basically four weeks I'd say is the minimum we always give ourselves to just get into form. And obviously that's not enough time. Um, as much as I might've liked to think that, you know, workouts were starting to go well. Um, but the quality of field in Edmonton was incredible. And I mean, they dusted me there. Um, and I just, I didn't show what I was doing in training. It was all pretty, you know, uh, abysmal. Um, the Collins cup was a big step forward in just a couple of weeks, um, was able to, you know, swim and bike for the most part at, uh, a lot of the training that I was doing and show that, you know, it's not some sort of, you know, crazy sickness or some weird mental thing or anything like that. That was like preventing me from pushing myself in a race. And then Dallas was this, I, I had three really great weeks of, you know, we, we went back to kind of this conjugate sequencing and stacked a lot of good workouts in the heat, which is not something I've especially excelled at in the past. Um, the heat, if you look at my short course career, um, maybe some of the training timing was off, but haven't ever excelled in hot races. Um, but it was able to do some heat training, um, stack a lot of good workouts, feel confident and just start to see, you know, the signs of really getting fit overall and Dallas, the result again, just does not, it's not anywhere where I want to be, but at least I can pick through, uh, and kind of go the swim felt really, you know, pretty relaxed. I had the bike while well, the, it wasn't exactly what I wanted. The main thing was trying to find some run legs and I found them for a little bit until I realized that the pace was too aggressive and wasn't quite, you know, digesting my nutrition and just, I think overheated, um, which, you know, is a, is more of a pacing fault than anything else. So, um, I think that I'm, I've found a place where I'm finding form. Um, it's been the summer again of trying to find that form and it's just been put on display this year, maybe more than last year in the struggle of the, the patience of having to, to go to that peak effort and the peak form to, to race the best in the world when, they're of course firing on all cylinders. So, um, that's, that's, uh, just a little bit of bad luck, a little bit of poor planning and just needing to have patience. But again, when you have these opportunities to race Edmonton Collins cup in Dallas, 
um, you got to take the shot sometimes. And I've never been afraid to take the shot to put myself out there and to, to try and go for it. So now we're, we're back. Um, we're making sure I'm fully recovered and then got really, you know, four to five ish weeks of, of solid time to kind of, you know, get myself to world championship form and lay it all out on the line at a race where, you know, I really know the course. Um, I know the area. Well, I enjoy racing in St. George. Um, from what I can tell it, it might be warm, but it's probably not going to be that hot. So, you know, I got one more race this season, probably, uh, with this before I really assess and see if it's time to just shut it down and have kind of a true off season and lay that foundation that, you know, has really worked in the past and kind of be patient again. And, um, then, you know, reassess and see what, what the end of 2022 or the beginning of 2023 and beyond holds. So, yeah, you, you said that, um, you said that we, you went back to that system that, that you'd been using, uh, in your, let's call them glory days for lack of a better term, um, pre Dallas. Uh, so does that mean that you sort of went away from that system with your coach, Jim Vance, and, and were trying new things and, and just decided that it didn't work and that to, to sort of get back to competing for the win at, say, a 70.3 world champs, you need to go back to that system? You know, we did, uh, in a way, kind of stray from it a little bit because um, this is the first full year where I'm pretty much focusing on, on half-distance racing. And, um, you know, it's been – we've been on the back foot a little bit, I would say, but – um, we've also been working closely with Bobby McGee and Matt Pendola and, um, you know, those guys are kind of the ones that really accelerated my run, uh, at the beginning of 20 it, throughout 2021, it was that crossing of getting my run form down and getting in the good run training. And you saw it in a, in a lot of the racing in 2021, like in Oceanside, um, and especially, you know, in Texas and Miami, where I really closed quickly and was just super strong at the end. Um, and so we, we were a little bit more towards like a traditional uh, seven days a week, you know, give or take um, type of schedule. But we just felt like we were cramming too much stuff in at once. It was kind of a rest when you need it type schedule. Um, so it required maybe a little bit more communication, but we just found like we would hit our stride, but then I would need, you know, some rest, right. We'd either over or undercook me at times. And with the conjugate sequencing and just having a bit more structure, I think we're, we just kind of, and also, you know, in some of that, I do have to say like that whole break in the middle of the year, like it, it wasn't easy to, you know, just get back into shape. There's always that kind of bumpy road of having to be patient, but wanting to be fit and hit certain workouts to go to a big race. So um, it wasn't necessarily, you know, smooth sailing that whole way, but once we got up and I had some fitness and then we decided, okay, let's just before Dallas, let's go back to this. We have some built-in rest. Let's make sure we're just hitting everything how we should. Um, things just started to click again. And I really think like, there's a lot of positives to take away from that. Cause, um, again, the heat, like in the Arizona, especially, and just getting in a lot of those workouts, um, was really pretty solid to just continue to stack all of that work. So, um, yeah, I felt like, again, it was getting to that point where, you know, maybe Dallas, you always would like more time some uh, 
at certain points in your career where you're like, Hey, a couple more weeks would have been fantastic, but it was a great test. And I always knew it would be tough to, um, you know, get into peak form. And I knew that on the day, if I had a good day, you know, who knows in the heat, you could be first or you could be like me in 23rd. So, um, I was excited to take that chance though, and see where my fitness was. And we got a lot of good information out of it. And, um, it's kind of back to work because yeah, you don't want to show up not fit for, for a world champs. And so Ben, where's the future from here? Like, are you, are you, you're still young. I think you're like 29 from memory, 29, yeah, 30, 30 in December. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I'm pretty good there. Uh, what, what's the future for you? You're still like bloody young for triathlon, but it just feels like you've been around forever, really. Like you, you started having success so young and, and like, it's, it's funny because we see some careers go some ways and some go the other. Like you look at what Alistair Brownlee's been doing lately and he's just nowhere near what he was as a 20 to 26 year old. And, but then you look at like Craig Alexander and Jan Frodeno and they're as good as ever at 38. Like, where do you think your career is going to go from here? What's the plans? Like you haven't even dabbled in Ironman yet. Uh, is Kona, like are the Ironman World Championship, something that you see yourself like going all in on, in on to try and win? Yeah. You know, I think, uh, because I started so young and I've always taken the approach of, you know, being patient and working my way through. And I had, you know, the goal of making the Olympics, which I was able to check off, um, and enjoyed that process, you know, tried and came up a little bit short, uh, of trying to win the medal and be selected for that team, which is fine, but I've kind of fully moved on to this middle and full distance career right at I almost feel like the the perfect time with the emergence of the PTO. And um, I, I feel like that's, you know, I, I want to win world championships and big races. And now there's a lot of opportunity to do that with the half Ironman world champs, Ironman world champs, PTO races. Um, so that's my goal for the foreseeable future. And um, there's a lot of opportunity to race the best in the world. And that's where I want to be. Um, I think that, you know, full distance, I think that that time is coming a lot closer than, um, you know, if you would have asked me a few years ago, I was always kind of putting it off, but there's, I mean, that's what I grew up kind of watching on, on TV. It's what got me interested in the sport in the first place was the, the Ironman world champs and, and watching my parents do it, um, the people around me and, uh, there's definitely something, you know, special about, uh, that race, but right now it's, it's kind of full focus on trying to win a half Ironman world champs that I've been chasing since 2017. And, um, whether that's, you know, this year, next year, whatever year, that's always, I think going to be a goal as well as, um, you know, I think moving around and seeing what these PTO races have to offer, which so far is, is a lot. And, I just think it's great for the sport to see so much opportunity to race the best in the world instead of having to wait, you know, until September, October, every single year. So that's, that's kind of the main focus for right now is just really trying to get the most out of myself and each year and, and race well at the big races and just kind of be patient. And, you know, longevity is always kind of what I wanted. And triathlon is, is special with that being able to race until, you know, 40 years old and, and have a good solid long career. And I think that that opportunity presents itself a lot when you go to full distance as well, because it seems like, um, 
experience and longevity in the sport kind of leads to, you know, smarter and better racing at the the Ironman distance. And then I never really ask questions like this, but I don't know. I just see you as a as a guy who thinks about the sport in a, in a pretty smart way. Um, so I'm going to ask you this question. If you could give like a session or a group of sessions to, to like amateur athletes and say, hey, this is how you're going to like get the most out of your, your swimming, biking and running. These are the sessions you should kind of try to do. What, what would like you generally give some advice about there? Like would you, would you like prescribe like a certain session and say, hey, if you do this every week, your bike's going to get really strong or if you do this brick every week, then you're going to be in a good place. You know, I don't know if there's one specific workout that I would prescribe to somebody. I think the one thing I'd really preach and what I think is is super important, and you can take the lesson from me in, in my year as well, is that just consistency and being able to stack whatever workouts you're doing back to back to back and just having that um, kind of long build. Um, you know, I've, I've listened to a few of your podcasts, but like Cam Worf came on here and he said that he take he needs like that 10 to 12 weeks or so to really build up to to do an Ironman well at a race well that he's kind of a workhorse and that's what I've kind of rediscovered like this year and last year and having this kind of full stop in the mid-season whereas usually it might be a, a short little stop but having to kind of rebuild and seeing at the end of that build you know kind of the the fruits of all of that and in being fit towards the end of that and those kind of last few weeks of all of the consistent training. And, um, that's what I think is if you can just kind of be consistent with it, even if it's just 30 minutes a day of something, I think that's hugely beneficial instead of kind of that typical mentality of like, Hey, if you just go, you know, smash this one session, just those big Epic days are fun. But I think it's just, you know, having normal days every day and just getting those workouts in is, is really what pays dividends level-headed mature advice i like it i was sort of hoping you would just say yep go and ride nine hours once a week and see how many people actually went and did it but no you're too level-headed for that thanks yeah (laughs) well there's a few guys out there i think who might prescribe that they prescribe it for themselves and it's fun to watch and fun to see but um yeah it's it takes a lot out of you hey uh do you reckon there is any like you hear a little bit of rumor about some crazy training people do. And I reckon the latest one, like you sort of said, there's always like a, a person at the time who's doing crazy things or is unbeatable. And you do hear about the Norwegians training a lot. And like, it's sort of a little bit mythical in amongst triathlon circles, isn't it? Like, oh, the Norwegians are doing this. Like, we've got to start doing this. Like everyone's obsessed with lactate now. And I'm pretty sure it's just off the back of the Norwegians um, being being yeah. like using it as a part of their training. Have you ever like looked at that kind of thing or maybe looked at what Jan Fredino is doing or Alistair Brownlee or whoever it is and gone, like, I really want to try, try and train the exact way they do because like I'm looking at how they're performing and I want to be like that. You know, not really, you know, I've looked at the Norwegians and honestly, like when I was training, um, I, it was, I was training with Ryan Bolton. Um, I kind of had another coach and then transitioned to Ryan Bolton right in that Olympic year. And um, I had a couple of really strong races under him, but we did a ton of, of big work and high quality. And, um, some of the, I think honestly could have been some of the best training I've ever had, but didn't always reflect in the racing. And, um, I kind of took a lot from that year and just learning a lot about myself. And I mean, 
I, I look at how the Norwegians train and think like the power to them. Cause I don't think I could survive under that training load in their lifestyle. Cause I've kind of almost lived a, a way of it, um, back, you know, 2015 or 16. And, um, I just, I, I like a little bit more balance. Like I like to have, um, I like to go and train and work super hard and get the work done, but I like to disconnect from the sport a bit too. And, um, having a family is important to me and I like having a home base. So you learn a lot about what works for yourself. And I think that's kind of what is great about the sport of triathlon is there's no one true way to do it. There's no one right way. Um, there's a lot of science that can go into it and that you should follow, but you know, the Norwegians aren't, do they don't have a secret sauce. Jan never had a secret sauce. Like none of these guys, it's not like, you know, it's, it's almost a little bit, I, I was kind of, I think I was joking with somebody once about our special needs station where, um, you know, in space jam, they give all the Looney tunes, the Michael Jordan's like water bottle, but it's really just water that bugs bunny gives them. And it's a lot of it is mental. It's just, you got to be in your own space doing the work that you're confident in and believing in it. And that's what those guys are doing. They're looking at the details and they just trust in their process and they're putting in the work they believe is going to, you know, win them world championships and the, what the data shows them. And I think that that's really kind of what it comes down to. And um, I don't know, I said it a couple of times that sh the sport has a short memory and, you know, like, <laughs> we were, we were all talking in the Collins cup last year about how Jan was unbeatable. And now we've just decided to move on to the Norwegians because they're the hot topic right now and they've earned that, but it's always kind of this cycle. And I think really it's just about, like I said, finding your space, finding what works for you and just keep trying to push and innovate and um, figure out what that, not even the next best thing, but just, how are you going to push the sport forward? Because, you know, honestly, what if it's too late? Like you might adapt lactate, but you know, the next best person or the next best thing, whoever's hot at that point might not say that lactate is good. And you don't just want to keep following whoever's number one in the world right now. It's a good note to end on, mate. Uh, like, like I said, like, I just think you've had one of the most underrated careers probably in triathlon history and you're still only 29, which is like quite crazy. And, yeah, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm fascinated to see where, where the next few years go because I've always felt like like Ironman is your real calling, but you're still focused on like getting that that sort of 70.3 win that you've come so close to and, and just not quite quite achieved. So yeah, like I, I think like a lot of people maybe look at you as the sport's moved past you a little bit, but, but I don't agree. And, and I think that like you've still got probably – if not the best results in your career to come, you've still got some like massive results to come, particularly when you, when you eventually make that switch to Ironman, which I just think suits you down to a T once you've had a few years of, of good specific training for it. So yeah, I really wanted to get you on to, to talk about that first, sort of like what I sort of think I look at as the first half of your career and, and, and then so people can follow along from here and, and realize you've done all of that and then, and then follow your journey from here to see, to see where you get back to and, and where you go to from here. I'm like, yeah, I'm really interested to see how it plays out from here. So wanted to get you on and, and have that chat exactly like that. And yeah, this is sort of like, to me, it's like the, the halfway point and, and I can't wait to see where it goes from here. So yeah, thanks heaps for your time, mate. Like I said, I'm a massive fan and um, yeah, I'm excited for the next few years for you. Thanks. I really appreciate that. I need you as uh, kind of my hype man to, to follow me around and say this is the guy who has the most underrated 
triathlon uh, resume. That that's uh, thanks. That means a lot. And um, yeah, no, I still feel like I have a lot of big performances. And um, yeah, it's this is sometimes how sport goes. There's there's good times and bad times, and you got to weather through it. And yeah, hopefully we're we're talking. We got another podcast a few years from now that's that's talking about you know the second half. Exactly. All right, mate. Thanks heaps. And uh, like uh, like I said at the start, people wouldn't know this, but me and you have had a, a bit of a roller coaster to get this podcast to finally happen. It's been like months in the making with both of us having to bail multiple times for like random shit. So it's it's been bloody good to, to finally have this chat and uh, yeah, have a good rest of your day. Oh, thanks. You too. See you, mate.